0: Father, Lord, I've taken time this week to celebrate um, who you are and your goodness and the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we have come in this place, Father, um, today um, to worship you uh, this last Sunday of, of 2014, I'm asking you, God, to move once again in our lives, Lord, that you have sovereignly placed us in your hands and you have. Sovereignly placed us in such a time as this to exalt your name in such a culture as this in such a city as this to proclaim who you are to the world and so God, we thank you again for this opportunity God asking you Lord, to rest in this place, uh, Lord, that you would speak both through the speaker and that you would uh, allow the listener this morning uh, to hear the goodness of your grace and Lord to Uh, reflect that grace upon their lives and upon the lives of others, God. So in this place, Lord, as we have come high to lift high the person and work of Jesus Christ in this um, very room, Father, we are asking you, Jesus, Lord, that if there is a believer that is in this room that is going to struggle with the truth of this text, Jesus, we pray that you would empower them that you would equip them, that the Holy Spirit would rest upon them, that you would encourage them in their woundedness. Lord, we pray, um, Lord, even selfishly, God, I pray for for my wife and her family this morning who are at the hospital waiting for our granny to pass away, Jesus. We um, ask you, Jesus, that um, as our family and our church family is away from us today, that you would be with them, that you would rest upon them. Lord, we thank you, God, for granny and for her life. I just pray, Jesus, that you would be with others who are still traveling for the, the holidays, Father, and that you would comfort them and let them know that their church family loves them, Jesus. Lord, we also pray for the non-believer that is gathered with us in this room today. We pray, Jesus, that through the power and in view of your mercy and in view of your grace, Father, Lord, that you would speak into the dead and that you would make them to rise again to the power of the resurrection, Jesus. That this same Lord's day is the same power and it exudes the same power that was on that day that you were resurrected from the dead. And Lord Jesus, we ask you, Father, that you would do that once again, that you would regenerate the lost, that you would save them, and that you would cause them to walk in newness, Lord, as Lazarus did. And Lord, like many of us have done, who have been saved by you, Father. And so God, we thank you. I pray that you would help me follow the Lord to speak clearly, to speak boldly, and uh, Lord, that you would um, just help me where I failed majorly um, in this issue that we're going to be speaking about today. Lord, I thank you again for this honor and for this privilege uh, to proclaim your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12, uh, verses 14 through 21. Is uh, where we're going to be camping out here today. Uh, if you're new to Mission Church, my name is Eric Baker. I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor Justin. And uh, we appreciate you guys coming to hang out with us this morning Um, as we continue in a sermon series. um, Hopefully, over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be closing down uh, the book of Romans. It's taken us about two years uh, to go through this book. It actually was quicker than I was expecting. I heard you're hounding enough that I sped it up, I guess. And and so uh, over the next few weeks here, we're going to be kind of landing the plane of the book of Romans, and then. Um, I would ask you guys just that you would pray for Pastor Justin and myself. Uh, we're supposed to be spending some time together uh, this re- week really praying through and looking forward to um, this next year And as a church, and so just ask that you guys would help us. Uh, but in all of that, our desire is to do this, is to worship Jesus, is to make disciples, and is to multiply. That's what Mission Church is about. And uh, in that, we want to be... Um, exuding and reflecting the person and work of Jesus as a congregation while keeping the gospel at the center of us, both as individuals, but also as a corporate group of people, as a faith family, as a community of believers. Um, And so in this, over the last several weeks before we hit the Advent season, We've been talking about this idea of what it means to be a gospel-centered church. And when I'm talking about the gospel, I'm talking about the good news of the person and work of Jesus. Quickly, that he is the creator of God, that he is the creator of all things. And because he is creator, sovereign over all things, he can do with the world what he pleases to do. And it is perfect in that good and perfect will. But man has... Fallen, We are spiritually dead because of our first appearance in Adam and Eve, because of their decisions, because of their disobedience. Sin has it come unto all men, all women. Because of that, our very nature is to also sin. And that has separated us from God. Our relationship with Him is broken, but God did not leave us in that brokenness. He sent His Son to redeem the world, to be the penal substitutionary atonement. That means that's a big fancy word for saying he took all of our sin, the sin that we should have been punished for, the sin that we have all committed and should die for, Jesus died that death to pay back. And that's why he's able upon the cross to say, it is finished. The the justice that God demanded for the sin of humanity, Jesus paid for it, and he paid for it in full. And we can also rejoice in the redemption of our lives in this, that God is going to restore all things, that one day he is going to return. And when he returns, this place will be perfect in every sense. Our relationships will be perfect, not only with one another, but most importantly, our relationship with those whom God has saved will be perfect with God forever and ever. Amen. Awesome. Y'all guys, y'all, I'm telling you, hangover. We'll start that next week, right? It's the first, so y'all have done awesome, good. And so with that, uh, we are seeing the importance of keeping the gospel at the center, and that gospel demands that we respond, that we respond with our lives, not that our works can save us, but because of Jesus' works, we are saved and in that though he demands decrees that you would take up your cross that you would follow after him that everything in our lives would reflect what Jesus has done in us and so we want to keep that gospel that story at the very center of our being we've learned over the last several weeks before advent that we have learned that this gospel is to penetrate our private lives the way that we live every Life, the way that we think with our minds, the way that we interact with ourselves and our, our esteem and all of these sorts of things. We saw the next week in that, that not only does this gospel affect the way that we live privately, but everything that we do with the gospel in our private lives or don't do it with it also reflects in our public life, specifically in how we are to interact as a community of believers. That the best family in the world should be declared as the church. That we should exude the gospel to one another. That we should um, desire to see that penetrating in the the lives of all of us who have gathered as believers. That we should be quick to forgive and quick to love. That we should serve one another as the community. There's a difference between attending a worship gathering like you're doing today. And then truly belonging to a local body. And so we've seen that in the book of Romans. Um, we've seen this idea of both a private life and a public life within the church. But today we're going to hit another section of this as, as Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes now, what is it going to be like then if in, in view of God's mercy, in view of His grace, how do we interact with people who are our enemies? Now, immediately, when you say that sort of thing in a sermon like this, I can already feel it, that it's coming, that this is impossible. And yet I declare to you, because the Bible calls us to us, uh, that forgiveness, loving, taking care of our enemies isn't impossible. It is actually a biblical mandate for every one of us who claim to follow jesus now before we get to that let's let's recap this one section because if we miss this and we're going to miss it all in romans chapter 12 um, right here in verses um, one it says i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable god which is your spiritual act of worship You must look at this today in view of the mercies of the graces of God. All of these things, for us to be a gospel-centered individual, for us to be a gospel-centered church, it must be in view of what? The mercies that have been lavishly bestowed on you as an individual. So if we're going to have a relationship with our enemies... Alright, because here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. If if you don't have an enemy, that means you live on an island by yourself. Alright? None of us live on an island by ourselves. There are people that do not like you. And I know that's hard for some of you to believe. Alright? There are people that we naturally, whether it's a bully in school or relational issues... We struggle because of our broken world, because of this fall. As long as we are on this planet, relationships are going to be extremely difficult for as individuals. And yet, in view of God's mercies, how does the gospel through me, in me, reflect in my relationships with people who don't like me? Um, I had this bully. I had several growing up. And uh, I think I've told some of you guys this story before, but not too long ago, um, we were actually eating at Qdoba, uh, where we like to frequently gather, and um, I was there with my family and everything, and I hadn't seen this guy in years, and I walked past him and his family there, and I want you to know, every emotion I felt as a child, I relived it. I was like, oh, let's go to the parking lot. Alright? I'm not saying skinny, scrawny, you know, five foot nothing, 125 pounds soaking wet boy that I was then. So if you want to do to me then, what you did to me then, if you want to try that now, let's fight. I mean, I was swelling, I was just going to my car, and I was like, I am 36. Still ticked off about playground stuff. Now you think that's funny, but you do it too. Now, we've got to see that in view of these things, Um, how does God want us to interact with people that persecute us, that abuse us, that hurt us, that seek to destroy us? Okay? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, forget everything I'm about to say to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're responsible for what's being said. Let's look at it. Verse 14. Let's read this again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never... Uh, avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now when we look at these passages here in verses 14 through 21, we see some major do nots. All right? So we see, do not curse them. I don't think that is talking about spitting out foul language towards someone, but I don't think that's a good idea either. Um, it probably carries a little bit more connotation upon them, like I wish they would die. All right? We also see, though, the, the antithesis of that, the opposite of that. He says, do not do this. Do not curse them. But what? In verse 14. Bless them. All right? We say another do not. Do not repay evil with evil. What does he want us to do in, in spite of that? He wants us to live in peace with him. If at all possible, the person who is trying to destroy you, the person who is trying to harm you, the person who is gossiping about you, try your very best to live, if at all possible, in peace with them. We say another do not. Do not take revenge alright do not take revenge think about how big revenge is in our culture I think there's even a television show show called revenge alright we're really into this idea of getting back people that have harmed you and yet he says do not do that but what serve them give to them alright another one that he says do not overcome um, by evil but do what Overcome evil with good. Alright? Do not seek revenge. Vengeance is the Lord. Do not try to fight sin with more sin. See, the gospel is a countercultural reality. We live in, again, a culture that is all about destroy the destroyer. Um, bully the bully. Get what is yours. Don't let anybody take anything off of you? I've been told, I've not been to prison except to visit, play softball, basketball, go there. I've been often told the first day when you go to prison, walk up to the biggest guy that you can find and punch him square in the face. Why? Nobody's going to get me. Right? Nobody's going to get me. That's the kind of culture that we live in. If somebody punches you, punch them back. This is stuff we teach our kids, all right? Don't take stuff from anybody, but fight. And yet, the gospel is very clear in opposition of that idea. Now, I'm not talking about if somebody's trying to hurt your family, that you just say, all right? And open up the door to your family, especially if you're a dude. All right. You don't send your wife if you hear a bump in the night. You don't go, "Hey, honey, go get that, <laughs> go check on that." No, you jump up out of the bed and you go check it. All right, but it's our responsibility, though, um, in a majority of cases, that that we are not to seek revenge. See, our tendency is always to fight sin with what more sin? Sin always begets more. Sin, Because if you ever lie to your parents, what do you have to do to make sure that your lie stays true? Say another lie, right? (coughs) But this is what the culture really encourages. If somebody jones on you or makes a joke about you, what do you do? In a louder tone and louder voice, you are sarcastic more. I mean, this is the constant tendency that we're encouraged to live in is to take advantage of people's weaknesses to point them out in groups or in settings and allow them to be weaker. Because if somebody in there appears to be weaker, what does that make you do? It makes you seem superior. Enemies. Tough. It's a tough idea. This idea of, of, of loving and, and, and caring for, and, and not seeking to punish people who have rightly harmed you, or who have unjustly hurt you, okay, now quickly, when we look at this, um, I want to kind of show you um, four things, uh, three of them that we're not going to spend too much time on, but one of them Uh, We're going to spend a majority of our time today. When I look at this passage in Romans chapter 12, and I was to sum them up into kind of four main headings. Um, These were the ones I'm sure that there's more, uh, but these are the ones that I, I came up with. When we look at this, we can see the first one that I want you to understand, again, that I've mentioned, is that God has called us to love them. To love your enemies. I mean, this is radically different than the way that I think. The gospel is radically different than my nature declares and wants. And yet, this is what the gospel demands and decrees on how we should live. If you have your Bibles, you can flip back with me um, to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Verses 27-31. through 31. This is Jesus speaking here. And He says this, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So we see early on in Jesus' ministry that He's proclaiming to believers. He's proclaiming to followers of Jesus What are you supposed to do? Because this is a time in the church when they are heavily being persecuted. They are being hated for being Christians. Persecution is coming. Death is coming. And yet, what does Jesus say to them? What does the Apostle Paul remind us? To love them. To love them. Even if they do not love you back, your responsibility is to love even people who have hurt you greatly. The next one I want you to see. Uh, Let's go to Matthew. So you'll go back another book. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Jesus here is, uh, I believe this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, but he's he's talking about, he talks about retaliation in verses chapter 5, verse 38, that you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. When's been the last time you've seen that take place? Exactly, we don't. And yet, this is the call of the gospel. But he he continues on here in verse 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you lose those who you love, excuse me, for if you love those who you love, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He reminds us here again to love our enemies, but secondly, we're to pray for our enemies. But there is a a common hospitality that is amongst believers and non-believers. And yet we as believers are supposed to take this even a step further because we're gospel-centered. And in view of God's mercies and in view of His grace, then what are we supposed to do? What is our action? What is our weapon against our enemies? It is to pray for them let's face it, most of us, our prayers toward God, toward our enemies is this Lord Jesus, take their lives it's kill them alright, Lord Jesus may they be hospitalized for ever alright, or Lord Jesus may they get a weird rash that is uncurable on their face Okay, I mean, we're, we're praying these things. Those are also curses toward these people. And yet, what does Jesus say to us? How are we to respond to people we just do not like and they do not like us? And I'm, I'm talking about everything from petty relationship issues to, to the rapist and the murderer. It's to pray for them. It's to pray for them. The next one that we see. We see this even back in Romans, and we've, it's been alluded here in these other passages here as well. But back in Romans chapter 12, um, verses uh, 20 through 21, um, he reminds us, uh, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. What is he calling us to do here? Jesus has called us to love our enemies. He's called us to pray for our enemies, and now he's calling us to serve our enemies. To serve them. That the right thing to do. What makes the sin, Satan, and death squirm in our enemies is when someone who should be combating them, who should be fighting them, is bestowing kindness and is serving on them. That makes the, the very um, you know legions of demons themselves tremble in the world. It is unexplainable within Christianity when believers like you and I completely and totally um, allow someone and serve someone who does not deserve it. It's an unexplainable thing for a non-believer. And yet for us as believers, it should be the way of life. The the last thing that I want to kind of spend some time on, and this is I think the most difficult of them. At least for me, um, is what Jesus calls us to do. Is He calls us to forgive our enemies. Now, when I talk about forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about if 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 someone does murder somebody. I don't believe that Jesus is saying that we all pretend like He's not a murderer, or that they shouldn't go to jail. I don't believe that that's what the gospel is telling us. Okay. Forgiveness is not the idea of, of saying what they did didn't happen. Um, forgiveness isn't the idea of saying, oh, um, let's just glass over and let's pretend or it wasn't as bad. Now, I don't think that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is, is more than that. It is the realization that harm has come and yet I, I'm choosing to forgive a person who does not deserve it. All right? This is crucial to our lives because I'm telling you, if you have not been deeply wounded and hurt by someone, just hold on. Just hold on. Because it's probably going to happen. And it usually doesn't happen from some foreign person out there. It usually and typically happens from people in your tightest of circles. And those things can be some of the most difficult things to move past and, and to receive healing from. Two um, addresses here. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30-32. Jesus says to us through the Apostle Paul again. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God um, in Christ forgave you colossians 3:13 another forgiveness passage bearing with one another how tough is it to bear with people does anybody just get on your nerves you get on mine and i get on yours and yet we are called to do what To bear with one another. Single people, you keep thinking marriage is the answer. (laughs) Marriage people, people who are married, is marriage the answer? No. No. There is much bearing in marriage. Much bearing. Now, it's beautiful. It has some great uh, benefits to it. And yet... One of the greatest difficulties and relational difficulties is we would hopefully you would never call your husband or wife your enemy, but that does happen. Um, there is relationship difficulty and I must choose to forgive Laura as she must choose to forgive me, especially if you have two people who are getting married who have had wild, crazy past. Because if you can't forgive them for their past, you will never forgive them in their present. And they're going to do things that you are never a part of, but you're also going to see them do things and that you are going to witness and that you will be the brunt in of their sin. That you must also choose to forgive them. In Why? Because in view of the Gospel, um, it tells us here, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. Church, family, brothers and sisters in Christ, Please hear me in this. Unforgiveness in our lives, whether they have murdered someone in your family, or you're no longer BFFs with somebody, both of those hurts are real. And yet, unforgiveness in those situations is a prison cell for yourself. It's a prison. It'll kill you. It's not a prison cell for your enemy. It's a prison cell for you. Alright? I do not believe that Pontius Pilate was up all night pacing the floor about sending Jesus to be crucified. Once he washed his hands of it, he was done with it. The Romans put in an express lane for crucifying people. I don't think they went home that night and had regret. Unforgiveness does not harm your enemy. Unforgiveness in our hearts harms you, it harms me. See, see some people in our world retaliate with physical force, don't they? Again, um, last night, um, maybe you saw this, I was up at like 4 o'clock this morning, and uh, <laughs> I, I heard about a huge fight in a food court. I continued reading to find out that it was in Opera Mills in Nashville last night. There's 150 people in the food court, and supposedly three teenagers got ticked at each other, and two of them hit another one, and it, either the, they don't know for sure if all 150 people were fighting Or if all 150 people became like high school students in a high school fight who, you know, huddle around this big circle. And then it went out and, I mean, they had to shut down Opera Mills and all this crazy stuff last night. All right? Now, that's the way our our world responds. But most of us, I mean, I I haven't burned down somebody's house lately. I mean, I haven't keyed somebody's car recently. Um, I haven't, you know... I haven't done those things. And so some of our world retaliates toward their enemies in that way, but most of us are are not retaliating with physical force. We are actually fighting our enemies, let's be really honest, with our minds. You ever have an enemy and hear something bad happen to them? And rejoice over it? Because I have. Glad it happened to him. I mean, don't we have this saying in the South? Serve him right. We kind of glean and, and worship when we begin to play out because, see, the thing, when bad things happen to our enemies, they're typically... Thoughts that we have all premeditated schemes playing out in our heads that that we never act upon, but they are thoughts that are dark and evil and demonic. That's where I live. I couldn't imagine going out and getting so ticked at somebody that I burned down their house. Or wanting to fight somebody. Or wanting to harm someone with physical violence. But man, I have played out many schemes in my mind toward people who I have great relationship strife with. It's tough. See, there's, there's a mental war that is being played out in many of our minds. See, unforgiveness fetters our lives to pain, to sorrow, to lack of joy. It leads to grief. It leads to depression. If we only had the time back that we have spent being consumed with our enemies. Think about how much time you have wasted contemplating your mind or going back to a situation. Right? Have you ever done this? Like You've been in a, 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 a verbal altercation with somebody and you've said, man, if we had, could only do that again, I would have said this. Or even when you're talking to somebody about this, you'll say things like, you know, I didn't say this, but this is what I was thinking in my mind. And if I had that opportunity again, this is what would happen. Unforgiveness is not from heaven. It's from sin, Satan, and death. And it is a binding agent within our lives that I believe according to even the scripture I think that we can, we can see this probably in the book of James chapter 4 that it, that it is a, a thing within our lives that causes us to literally grieve the Holy Spirit within us see a lot of us the reason why we're not growing in our relationship with the Lord is that we can't forgive people who have hurt us See, we, we live in a culture that wants justice, right? Don't we? I mean, pay attention to what our television show. How many CSIs can there be? CSI Scottsville, all right? It's like Amish driving around chasing people. Stop! All Jebediah I told my chickens, all right? I mean, whatever it is. I mean, uh, what can it be? Uh, most of our shows are about lawyers and policemen. Um, Laura and I were sitting up there the night, and, and Laura's a school teacher, and I just don't like bratty kids. And so we were watching this show about scared straight. Uh, scared straight. Have y'all seen this? It's the whole thing where they take bratty bully kids who are typically doing drugs or violent acts, and they take them to jail for a night. right? And all the policemen are like, yelling and screaming at them and they're making them run and do push-ups and all these bullies are now <laughs> I mean they're crying they're snotting all over themselves and then they set them down and they let pit bull who's been in it for 10 years come in there and he's like yelling and screaming and they're all in chains and they're getting all up in their faces do you want to be like me and they're saying bad things to them about what people do in prison and they were going to do it th- I mean it's crazy And yet, Laura and I, we've never seen this show before, but we were flipping around the other night, and it was on, there was nothing else to watch, and we sat there, and we were like, get them! (laughs) They deserve it! These rotten, nasty, bully kids, they're getting exact. Cry! Yes! I mean, teacher Laura was like, this is what I want to do at school. All right? We love justice. Our culture loves justice. And you know, a lot of us hold on to unforgiveness because we're holding out believing they're going to get away with this. No one knows what they've really done. If they did, things, things would be different. This is unfair. And again, I'm not talking about a crime that has been done. If a crime has been done against you, you need to report it, then forgive them but I'm talking about relational issues, general relational hurts and wounds, whether that's from your parents, from your kids, from a husband, from a wife, from a spouse, from somebody that you work with. These things are extremely important for us to get, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to let that go. You've got to let it go no matter what it is, you've got to let it go. Jesus says, or the Old Testament says, right, do not murder. And yet Jesus tells us in the New Testament, if you hate, then you have committed murder in your heart. See, he equates those things. You don't have to have a knife in your hand to commit murder. You can have a knife in your head. And commit it just the same. When we respond like this toward our enemies. Though we would like to strangle them. The only, suffocating, the only one suffocating from this bondage is ourselves. We tighten this grip whenever we fantasize about it. What it would be like. Or what their life would be like. If we would see them get punished the way that they deserve. I love what this book says, forgive and forget. It says, when you release the, the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut the malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free. But you discovered that the real prisoner was yourself. Another quote from the Southern Baptist blog this week or a few weeks ago, it says this, forgive even when reconciliation is improbable. Remember, some critics only want chaos, not biblical unity. Even if biblical, biblically reconciling is complicated and unlikely, we can have the genuine heart of forgiveness that releases me from continuing to grow bitter and vindictive. When you forgive, keep your promise. Have a short memory for others' failures, even on this front. Leave a road back, remembering the kindness of God and His grace with you. That article is Friendly Fire Within the Church. When we look at these sorts of things, when we give up, because of the Gospel, our right to be right. This is what the Gospel calls us to. That there can be a relinquishing of the pain and suffering in our lives when we choose to forgive a person who does not deserve it. I can think of no greater story in this or in the Old Testament um, than the story of David and Saul. I'd encourage you to read that this week. Saul was a nut. I mean, he was clinically insane. Boy, he needed some meds. He needed to be locked away. This man was crazy. And he is constantly seeking after to destroy because he's become jealous of David. More people are worshiping David than they are worshiping him. and And he literally over and over and over again because... David loves Saul in spite of his insanity. In spite of him seeking to destroy David. There are scene after scene where where Saul would be having these insane moments and he would call for David. And what does David do? He goes to him. And he plays his harp because that seems to soothe Saul's insanity. And then Saul remembers who's playing the harp. And what does he do? He picks up a spear and he launches it at David. This happens over and over and over. And what do you do, ladies and gentlemen? When someone has wrongly thrown a spear at your life, and by our cultured standards is yelling and screaming, the gallery around you is saying pick up the spear and throw it back. Yet the gospel demands that we never pick up the spear. Confessionally, church. Unforgiveness in my life, other than the grieving of cash and his his needs and what that is, is like for us, the unforgiveness of my heart has probably been the the greatest obstacle for me to overcome in my life. And yet, the Gospel compels us for change. I hope that we will be a, a Gospel-centered church. A life... As an individual, a life as a church, and as a people who are willing to give up their rights to be right for the sake of the gospel. This has led me now to reading books. I've gone to therapy now. I confess that to you. I'm not ashamed of that. To help me deal with unforgiveness in my life. And the struggle and the depression that that has often caused because I take my mind off, my life off, my view off of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things, and in closing, this realization for us is what the gospel declares. And our hope today is that if you're struggling with this, I don't expect in some way to say this and there's be some magic potion that has now fallen upon you, but this is a daily choice that we twist our hearts and our minds and our our ideas and our thoughts as a living sacrifice i'm going to sacrifice what i rightly deserve in order for the gospel to be proclaimed in my life and the life of other people is this is that the gospel one declares that jesus is going to make all things right he even tells us in this passage Our desire is to look forward and when we have these relational issues even within the church is to be reminded that Jesus is going to come back. And when He does, He's going to take care of all of that brokenness and all of those broken relationships. Again, I'm not trying to gloss over. Your hurt is real. Yet Jesus is your healer. Jesus is my healer. The Gospel declares... That we should love our enemies. Why? Because we were once the enemies of God. As bad as I've been hurt by other people. And the other people who claim to be followers of Jesus. I've quickly come to the realize. You know what? I'm somebody's enemy. And as bad as I've been hurt. I'm on somebody's list. As I am their hurt. And even more so, as the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 5, that we were the enemies of God. And yet, what does God do? He sends His Son, Jesus, who is born, who lives, who dies, and is resurrected for who? His enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That, that means me. I was... An enemy of God. And yet, what does Jesus do in view of His mercy? He has forgiven me. So I must, as the Lord's Prayer says, forgive me of my debts as we forgive our debtors. The Gospel declares that we should be a community of faith that welcomes all including our enemies. Including our enemies. Today, may we one, realize our hearts. And this is again extremely tough. And yet, may we realize the importance of the Gospel. And how Jesus can heal you daily of whatever that hurt is that real pain Jesus can be our healer in view of his mercy and grace because we once declared war against him and yet he has reconciled us to himself through the work of Jesus and this is why Jesus from the cross can say forgive them for they know not what they do may we be a person May we be a people that forgives people who do not deserve it because we were once those people. Stand with me.